Hey there. Thank you so much for listening to our Big Time Talker podcast. We're on the, uh, the Blog Talk Radio Network, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple iTunes, wherever you go to subscribe to quality programming. We're there every Tuesday with a brand new episode. Thanks to our show sponsor, SpeakerMatch.com, the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. So let's say you're a meeting planner or maybe you're a platform speaker. You can find one another there at the virtual marketplace at SpeakerMatch.com. Com. We're in the holiday season, smack dab in the middle of it, but the holidays take on a whole different complexion if you're not with your parents. Maybe you have foster parents. Maybe you've been adopted. Maybe you are a foster parent. We wanted to dive into that a little bit with my friends Bob Noon and Scott Briscoe. They're known as the Adoption Brothers. Bob has been a leader in that field of adoption law back in my home state of West Virginia for over 30 years and has teamed up with Scott, a lifelong resident of the Mountain State, to do uh, adoption law. And uh, one wouldn't think, Bob, that there's enough law to be done in adoptions, but that's not right. How many adoptions between the two of you do you guys do every year in that one state? Well, I I can tell you by myself last year was 300 adoptions in one year. Teaming up with Scott are the, being one of the best things I've done since put pockets on my pants. Uh, I, I know, I know we're, we're going to be in the, the probably the 350 or more range this year. And that's because the adoption brothers do nothing but adoptions. We talk about one trick ponies. Scott and I only have this one little thing we do and we try to do it well. And so that's been recognized, uh, in the state of West Virginia. And, and so Scott and I are, are employed every day doing adoptions every day. So people listen from all over the country, uh, all over the world to the podcast. And so if you're not familiar with, with our home state of West Virginia, it's a rural state. It's not very populated. There are 55 counties, but spread across those counties, uh, less than 2 million people. So Scott, for people who are wondering what, why, are there so many adoptions there? What's going on? Well, there are a lot of different reasons, but one of the main reasons is uh, we, we are still feeling the effects of the uh, opioid epidemic here, Burke. What we're seeing is um, parents whose rights have either been terminated because of drug use or they're in jail or prison because of their drug use or uh, they've passed away from an overdose or they've just disappeared. And that leaves grandparents, unfortunately, in a lot of our cases, um, to pick up the pieces. So the, the, the newer trend that we're seeing with our practice is a, a lot of, of grandparents are adopting, uh, as well as uh, foster parents through the foster system. But the, the drug epidemic is, in, in my opinion, the number one reason why the numbers have, have been so high now. If you want to find out more about uh, adoptions, there are a ton of free resources at Bob Noon. Dot com. That's N-O-O-N-E, BobNoon.com. And you can find out more about the guys. Uh, when you get to the website, check out the Adoption Brothers page. So mm-hmm. what percentage, Bob, are the uh, uh, are these drug-related, would you say, if you were to, to look at that roughly 350? That's amazing. That's almost an adoption a day there. Yeah. So what, what, is that 10%, 20% that are drug-related, 50%? Oh, oh Lord. You, you are so low-balled. 
uh, and Scott, see if you, you wouldn't agree with me on this. Yeah, out of, say, let's say, let's just do a round number, 300 adoptions. If you took away drugs and the abuse and neglect resulting from drugs, we probably would have only had 100 adoptions versus 300. And that's conservative. Agree. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Because, you know, you'll some things are disguised as kinship adoptions. You know, grandpa, grandma, grandpa adopt or cousin, uncle, aunt. But they are relatives that are stepping up uh, to take care of children in the family so they don't drift off in foster care. Uh, but it's because of drugs uh, and, and the abuse and neglect that happens as a result of it. And, and Scott, uh, much like myself, served a long time as guardian ad litem, uh, which means we represented kids uh, in the courtroom. I've done it for almost 40 years, Scott for 25. And Burke, the, the drugs uh, in and of themselves, uh, you know, you well, send somebody to rehab. Uh, and maybe something might work out, but it's hard to get rehabilitation when you've abused a child physically, sexually, and terribly emotionally. And so that that brings so many to our doorstep. You know, I've, I've told both of you guys individually and, and privately, and I'll say it publicly here that I think you guys both do God's work. Um, I, how bad does it have to get though, Scott, before you guys become involved? Bob just talked about this guardian ad litem. Um, situation, I, I would have to think that it's got to go really sideways in a lot of ways before you guys get there. So I guess it's a two-part question. How far, how bad does it have to get before you guys are involved? And at that point, aren't these kids, you know, damaged beyond repair? <clears throat> to address the, the first part of that, by the time that we are involved, things have already gone south and the parents' rights have, have already been terminated. So the, the abuse and neglect case has pretty much wrapped up, and, and mom and dad are out of the picture. The judge has, has terminated the rights and, and freed the child or children up for adoption. And then it gets And where are those kids at that point? They're, well, first, they should be, by law, by policy, they should be with appropriate family if there is appropriate family available. That means family that's not in prison or addicted or on drugs or won't pass a home study because they're, they're living in filth. And when you have all of those conditions, that's when these children are, are living in uh, foster homes. So, and then to the extent of what kind of damage um, the children have suffered to this point, it, it depends on their age, uh, Bert, because if you have a little infant in, in diapers, Right. Um, they may have given away basically at birth because they were drug addicted and they uh, went straight to foster care and, and are adopted. And they're going to have no memory, basically, of any type of abuse or neglect. It's the older children, um, particularly the teenagers, who, who definitely, in my opinion, have felt the, the effects uh, of the abuse and neglect and it carries over um, into the uh, adoption arena. Some, some of our hearings are kind of bittersweet because when you think of an adoption, you think every hearing is going to be all happy tears. But when you have these older kids, it's more of a bittersweet situation for them because they realize that you can just see it in their, in their face that they're hearing them and they're having to finally let go of their biological family. But they're also trying to, to embrace the love of the, of the new adoptive family as well. So yeah. older kids definitely feel the effects and they're definitely going to uh, need to be enrolled in some type of therapy, uh, some type of counseling to follow up with that. 
And, and Burke, if I could add, this might be the one area Scott and I differ on. And it's just an age thing where I've been doing it, uh, you know, a little bit longer. I will tell you that yeah. kids, even from the womb, trauma occurs when you are marinated in meth for nine months. And, and the mother, the violence that the mother may suffer or the drugs or the abuse in the house translates to that womb. And, and so does the tension. So you will have kids that only know the adoptive mom and dad, but, but they, were, they were ripped or taken away from the natural object of their affection. And that would be their biological mother and dad. So don't be surprised if you have three-year-olds having significant grief and loss issues, as well as put on your seatbelt, PTSD. And, the, and so we get these young kids sometimes four and five years old, or they're blowing out of preschool because they're beating up the other kids are bullying. And we, we, we want to treat that Burke so often as a behavior issue in the kid. Sure. Rather, rather than, and we, you know, we, God, in, in our schools, we see them jacked up on Ritalin and all this ADHD stuff. And they never really look beyond the behavior to see what was the grief, the loss and the trauma that, that that kid suffered before three and four years old. And that's where sometimes you do have to have a, a qualified therapist. And, and Scott and I are both big time believers uh, that, that you, you put that child with a licensed mental health professional before the adoption and even continue afterwards. Because he's uh, Scott is 100% right. I attended a he- hearing after hearing, and it's the older sibling that has to carry the memory for the younger kids of what the, the biological parent was like, uh, even at the adoption. You'll see the older kids get silent and break down, and you look at the adoption pictures, and there's that one kid looking like he missed the train uh, to Disneyland, and, that, and that's the one carrying the memories for the other siblings. So, fellas, I would assume that it's – and maybe I shouldn't assume because I don't know. You guys do this every day – that it's tougher to get a teen adopted – than you know a cute little baby um and and so you know scott you you think about this and and you mentioned it's a bittersweet this is not a hallmark kind of thing a hallmark movie kind of thing so if you've got uh, a teenager is it tougher for them to find an adopted uh, parent do they wind up being in foster care longer what what happens to a 14 15 16 year old kid in these cases teenagers are the most difficult uh, to find a permanent placement for without a doubt the older they get the, opp- the opportunity to be adopted uh, shrinks astronomically. Um, and right now, you can go to the department's webpage. If you go to wvdhhr.org, right now you can look at a, a profile of 32 kids right now who are eligible to be adopted, who are just living in temporary placement. Um, you can, they have their, their profiles, pictures of them. Um, so like you just Googled this and there are 32 kids at this moment, mm-hmm, they're teenagers right. that are looking. Yeah. I'm looking wow. at them right now. This is at the DHHR's webpage and people that are serious. Uh, we get so many calls, Burke. Um, how do I go about adopting a brand new baby? Um, when we have so many other kids, which I'm not saying that's a very noble thing to do, but we, we have these much older kids who are ready now to be adopted in need homes right now. And these are wonderful kids, despite the issues they've been through. And, and I think if people would see these profiles and, and read their stories, um, that it might change some people's minds and hearts about taking in an older child. And what happens to these kids if they don't get adopted, Burke, is they age out of the system and they have the opportunity 
um, once they turn 18, to sign themselves back into the state's custody um, for a short period of time where the state has a program that will help them with and pay for uh, education, vocational training, transportation, um, and help them, you know, kickstart their their adult uh, life. However, all of these kids by that point are so jaded with the system and uh, everyone involved that the majority of them turn that opportunity down and choose to just uh, go crash on someone's couch or go to the streets. I've seen one of my poor kids turn 18 in a detention center and he was just released onto the highway on 119. He had no family or friends to pick him up. Uh, so happy birthday. You're 18. You're an adult. Here you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Scott, they, I remember uh, years ago when um, the social worker uh, would drop off uh, a client at Sojourners in Charleston, the homeless mm-hmm. shelter for girls. Yeah. And, and you know, Scott and I, um, uh, I'm, I'm going to just brag for a little minute. We, we are not the typical, we were not the typical guardian ed lineups. We got involved in the kid's life. Like if there was a graduation, we were there. I've gone to funerals. That's how Bob and I met. Well, yeah, quick, we did. Bob, tell them, uh, we both had kids, and this was 25 years ago, in Salem, mm-hmm. which back then was like prison for kids. Kitty, and I, kitty prison. Yeah. And I was right out of law school, and one of my first juvenile kids, and she had no family, nobody there, mm-hmm. and she was going to graduate from high school in placement. And, and I just, I thought, this girl needs someone in the crowd to clap for her, to, to yell her name out, um, and to be there for her. So I go to this graduation ceremony, and this dude standing next to me and, and my client walks across the stage and I, I'm applauding and screaming her name. And the guy goes, Oh, is that your daughter? I said, no, no, no. I, I'm just her attorney. I just want to make sure she had someone here. Well, that dude I was standing next to was Bob Noon. He was there for the same exact reasons. Mm-hmm. So yeah. at that moment, I'm like, yeah, I think this is my mentor now. And uh, 25 years later, he finally asked me to come to work for him. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, Scott, I don't know if you remember, uh, when we were there, like my client, my 17 or 18 year old kid in kitty prison, she was the first one in her family to ever make it as far as a high school diploma. Yeah. And, uh, and out of the whole state of West Virginia, the only two kids that had their lawyers there were the clients of Scott and Bob. Oh, and uh, she's all grown up now. I'm still in contact with her on Facebook. Yeah. She's married, has kids and she's doing great. <laughs> I, well, I can't say that. Mine popped out about seven kids and they were all taken. So, oh, no. yeah. okay. Sorry, 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 Scott, to bring a downer to my side of the story. It's a wash. Uh, it's a wash between us. Okay. And I would uh, imagine that it kind of goes both ways, right? When these mm-hmm. kids have been through so much, there have to be some really gratifying moments, but also some times where uh, it's got to be a long night when you get home, right? Yeah. So, so Bob, tell me about one of these situations, paint a picture for me where you got home and you said, you know, today was a really good day. Yeah. Oh, wow. Now I, I got to admit since, since uh, over a decade or so ago, when I did nothing, stop or started only doing adoptions, uh, you know, I get those days on a lot of days, but um, you know, I I've had times uh, when, when I've um, been able to close the book on, uh, and it's hard to narrow it down, uh, kids that have encountered foster care drift uh, or uh, they finally get the home, 
foster care drift, by the way, is defined as, you know, kids being in three or more placements in a, a year or two. And okay. that happens so often. And just think of that, Burke, you know, you're pick any given age, five, 10, whatever. And you're going to a new home every couple months that tells you how you're going to eat dinner. Uh, do you go to this church or that church? Uh, who your new brothers and sisters are? And that that's terribly traumatic to move back and forth and all. But occasionally you you see the marriage happen where the kids click with those parents. And it's just a, an amazing, happy day. And uh, for me, I certainly believe in the Zen uh, of adoption. And that is, you know, the universe is out there conspiring with these kids such that the kids find the parents more than the parents find the kids. And, and I've just had some words like, oh, my Lord, you know, God had his finger in the in the marriage of this kid to this parent. Uh, imagine imagine a child who has a rare pancreatic condition that they cannot digest food properly. And they're like five or six. The sister who had the same condition died at the parent's home for lack of lack of proper medical care. Ugh. And this this kid gets placed in a foster home where the, the mom is a nurse and the dad is a doctor. And they know exactly what to do. But but don't stop there. During the foster care time, you know, they really grow attached to this little girl. And her she has to literally have cornstarch put in her food to help digest it. And this doctor's trying to learn about the condition, but he's just a GP kind of thing. Well, he, he goes to, uh, takes the, the girl, gets permission to go out of state, as foster parents can do, to go to Disneyland or Dollywood. He goes to Disneyland. And while they're there, they discover there's a doctor in the area that specializes in this condition. And he calls up the doctor thinking, oh, there's no way this doctor will see him and his daughter. The specialist in the world in this pancreatic condition invites him and the foster daughter over and, and, and is just so impressed with what this doctor knows that eventually he takes this doctor from West Virginia and makes him part of a, a clinical team, I think, out of Boston. And his little girl is getting state-of-the-art treatment. And this doctor has become not just a foster parent, but, you know, he and his wife are, uh, you know, models for children with this kind of condition. Wow. And you, and you have to sit back and you go, wow, this could not have been orchestrated by mere mere man. Definitely not orchestrated by the department. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not just dumb luck, is it? it and you had to say, wow, people that How did open that up happen? Their, yeah, and people that have those big hearts that open up their hearts and homes, don't be surprised if other good things happen to them. It's just the 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 zen, uh, the moment of zen that comes with adoption. We're talking about adoptions during the holidays with Bob Noon and Scott Briscoe, the Adoption Brothers. You can find out more about them at the Adoption Brothers page at bobnoon.com. That's noon with an E on the end. They're based in West Virginia, but uh, they answer questions for folks all over the country and have become sort of the experts in the mid-Atlantic on the whole thing. Um, Scott, I, he I heard it said once with adoptions, and I think about this now, especially during the holiday season, that um, you you can't love the hurt away um, You know, with, with adoptions. I have a a close friend that I've known for many years who's adopted, he and his wife have adopted four kids. And he said, you know, you, you go into it, he's a, a minister. And he said, you go into it with, 
with this thought that uh, love is going to make it all better for these kids, but you can't love all that trauma and that, that hurt away. So what counsel do you give Scott to somebody who says, Hey, I'm interested in, in adopting uh, somebody because uh, adopting a child, because I would assume that's, um, that's a heavy lift. If you can't just love the hurt away, there's going to be tough times. Well, especially for foster parents, um, foster parents get their hearts broken more than anyone. And what the public, I don't think understands about the purpose of foster care, Burke is foster care is meant to be temporary only. It's not mm-hmm. meant to be uh, a resource for adoption. The, 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 the policy, the law, the thought behind foster care is the number one goal in every abuse neglect case is to try to fix the conditions of abuse neglect. So you can reunify that family and keep that mm-hmm. child with the mother, the father, or the mothers, the fathers. That's that's our goal. As the guardian of litem in every case that I was in, and the prosecutor, the DHHR, CPS. Uh, I know that that's not the public's idea, uh, idea of CPS, but they really their their goal is to repair that family and put them back together. Um, so foster care, you're going to set yourself up for heartbreak when if you take a child in and the biological family gets their act together, which is what we all want, and that child is removed from the foster home. And too often, I've seen the problem arise where the, the foster family then hires an attorney to intervene to fight. And it becomes a custody battle now, um, wherein it, it should be if the, the biological family did what they were supposed to do with them time allotted by the law that child should go home. Um, But that's where people get their hearts broken is in the foster care system. Um, What do you think, Bob? Yeah. You know, um, I've had people call up, say, you know, we're on Facebook a lot. It's adoption.now on Facebook, adoption.now. And you'll see, you know, a bunch of these adoptions we do. And people will call up and say, how do I do this? I want a baby. And you say, well, how about, you know, foster care is one of the few times you can test drive the car before you take it off the lot. How about becoming a foster parent? And here, and, and there's a bunch of organizations that are wonderful in helping you train you and get you through that. And they go, oh, Scott, you've heard this. I don't want my heart broken by being a foster parent. I just want a baby that's non-damaged. Well, people, yeah. there's not really such an animal. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I, you know, part of me, I guess that identifies with kids is how can you say you don't, you know, you don't want to get your heart broken. It's all about that. And, and, you know, now Burke here, here's where Scott and I differ from you. You're talking to two adoption lawyers that have no children of their own. So I can't tell you what it's like to be a parent. And probably Scott and I are both parents of wonderful dogs, but Dealing with parents over the past four decades in the courtroom, I can tell you biological parents have their share of heartbreak anyway. Uh, And and biological parents go through that all the time. You're not going to have a heartbreak-free existence anywhere. But we get that a lot. You know, uh, well, we don't want to try foster care or it hurts too much. Well, it does. And if you can get – if you a family can get reunified because of your help with that child for a while – you know, we have foster parents that rejoice in the fact they help reunification. But if it doesn't work out as, as maybe, what do you think, Scott, 80% of the time, well, that there's not. And, and the counseling I've given, and I, have, I can give you one really good example of this, was a foster parent who did a, a fantastic job. And they bonded with the little baby girl. 
the, the biological family got their act together. The foster mm-hmm. family, they were, they were devastated, but uh, the way I've, I've couched in, in terms to them was, this just means there's some other child out there in the foster care system that, that needs you now. Mm-hmm. And to try to get them through that well, six months later, that foster mother calls me up and she goes, Scott, I want to thank you uh, for those words because months later, another child was placed with us and we are now adopting this child and this was how it was meant to be. So you, you may have your heart broken initially, but um, it, it may be for a reason because there may be better things coming. That's an, an interesting wrinkle that I think people that, as you said, the public, so to speak, would never think about is, is how tough that piece would be. What happens though, um, Scott, when, when you do adopt a, a teenager who's been through an awful lot of trauma and, and uh, you know, bad stuff has happened for years, probably for that kid. Um, do the parents, the new adoptive parents, do they get some sort of specialized training on how to, to help that kid? Cause as we talked about, you know, the, you can't love all of that away. So you're in for a rocky road when you adopt a kid who's been through a lot of trauma. Absolutely. And it's up to the adoptive parents. Um, once the, the, the abuse neglect case is over and they have adopted the child, the state is out. The DHR CPS is out. So it, it falls on the adoptive parents who are now in the eyes of the, yeah. of the law, biological parents to do that research, to find what resources are out there. Now, hopefully there are resources through the DHHR. They can speak to the CPS workers or the guardian ad litem to find out what else uh, they can do to provide counseling, uh, uh, the therapy, uh, whatever else, you know. It's up to those uh, individuals um, once the department's out to, to step up as and do what any other mom and dad would do for any other biological child. Mm-hmm. Bob, what, yeah. uh, let me ask you this. It, it, there's a million little wrinkles in the whole thing. Uh, and by the way, we're talking to Bob Noon and Scott Briscoe on the Big Time Talker about adoptions and especially, you know, how these kids deal with, with trauma as we all think about it during the holidays. What happens if it's more than, than one kid? I was an only child. Most people are not. If you have uh, biological parents that, as you said, are drug addicted or, or whatever, mm-hmm. and you've got... Uh, you know, two little boys and two little girls. Is it your goal when you do adoptions to try to keep those kids together? Is that even feasible? Will anybody take a whole family of kids or how does that actually work in reality? Yeah. Now I've done adoptions where I've had seven kids in the same family, Mm -hmm. but know that because there might be multiple baby daddy or a baby daddy with multiple baby mamas, uh, you will have kids come along at different times. It's rare that there's five, six kids together that all show up at the same time in a court case with the same so, parents. So it's with the same parents. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Oh, oh, it's so nostalgic to me to see uh, several kids with the same mom and dad. It, it warms my heart, but it's not reality. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's so let me tell you about that. It is a hope to put all kids, uh, siblings together, but it's not just a hope. It's the policy particularly uh, in uh, the Adoption Safe Families Act, uh, but also the Fostering Connections Act of 2008, revised in 2012, and the general policy. uh, We don't have federal adoption laws. It's mainly a state-by-state thing, but most of them recognize that you need to keep siblings together. That's a policy. It's not just a hope. It's an aspiration or whatever. That's our policy, particularly in the state of West Virginia. When you keep siblings together, how do you define a sibling? So often we have even department workers who should know better say, well, 
we don't know of any other siblings uh, that this child has. Uh, you know, this was the only one that this mom and dad had. Well, here's a technicality, which is not. A sibling in West Virginia is defined as any two children with one parent in common. So there are no half siblings, uh, so to speak. If you have one parent in common, that's your sibling. And the state is when, when the abuse and neglect case opens, the state is to try and find other siblings out there. And if they've been adopted or in foster care, the first goal is to place that child with its sibling. Uh, and, and Burke, if you had siblings, you would know that long after your parents are dead, sometimes the only person you have growing up that you relate to is your sibling. Sure. You know, and, and that's why it, it's really good to keep them together. But do foster parents or adoptive parents push back against that? I mean, do you see that? Is that a regular thing where they say, look, I can only handle one? No, most of them will say, look, I can only handle two or three. It's when the baby mama pops out, you know, five and six, it's an issue. Uh, but, but, um, but, you know, the state will, the state sometimes doesn't do due diligence. We find, and maybe it's because we've done this a long time. Scott can tell you as he's learned my computer system, our, our legal assistant, Gail, can track down which man went across the state on what day procreating because we, we, we cross-reference fathers with children in different counties and whatever, probably our database is as good as the state's Bureau of Child Support Enforcement. Huh. And, and the state will sometimes say, we don't know of any other siblings. And I'm thinking, ooh, now we can't violate confidentiality of prior cases, but a push of a button on my you know, uh, on how the computer will tell you in our office. And so uh, this, so I think the state needs to do a better job of keeping siblings together. But if they don't, we get orders entered that says that child may be separated from all siblings known and unknown. Because the state will say, we're not going to get an order because we don't know of any other siblings. And, and my response is, when, when Scott and I look at the file, the mother is 25. The, the baby daddy is 45, you know, because he helps supply drugs to the mother, you know, and they had this one child. And the state wants me to engage in, in the belief that this man waited until age 45 for his first bout of unprotected sex. <laughs> uh, I, I, can, I cannot live with that fantasy. So Scott and I insist on those orders all the time. I may have gotten a little too technical for you on the question, but, but siblings are an important part of every adoption process. And we look into that. And it is difficult to find a placement, Burke, for that many siblings, but it happens. One of the coolest adoptions I, I had recently, and it was in Upshur County, and they had adopted six siblings. And you talk about the happy tears. When the judge granted mm -hmm. that adoption, and you have six kids who are stair steps from ages like six to roughly 13, and you see these six siblings clutch mm -hmm. onto each other for life and they are crying happy tears because the six of them get to stay together and have the same mom and dad. And they were just shaking and the tear, just weeping and sobbing little kids just from sheer joy and, and the security and comfort of knowing uh, yeah. they were being adopted. So it's there are our families that take large groups. It does happen. Wow. And Scott Monday, Scott and I were both in Point Pleasant on Monday. And how many, we, we had four siblings, didn't we, at that one? Mm -hmm. We four. did an adoption of four kids uh, on the same family uh, with Judge Tatterson in, in Point Pleasant Monday. Yeah. It was Upshur County. I've been to Upshur County twice with two, six sibling adoptions. So mm -hmm. 
you know, for, for a layman like me, and, and I've hung around with you guys, but haven't spent, you know, the, the time that you have studying this, the decades of figuring it out, man, it seems like there are so many uh, little things that can go sideways when you're doing this. And, and just the thought when, when you said the words, Bob, government agency, <laughs> just, that makes me shudder to begin with, because it, you know, anytime, frankly, that I have to deal with, with the state or federal government, it's complicated. Think about doing your taxes or any other, mm-hmm. any other thing you do. So is it, is it complicated or, or for you, are there adoptions that you just kind of, you roll in and you rubber stamp? I would think it's got to be a huge mess every time. And they're all well, different. Not, not exactly every time from the state, but Scott, would you agree? Because uh, Scott's reviewing a lot of the files now that, that come in that Gail and I used to do uh, daily. Would you say about six out of 10 have mistakes in them? Yeah. And At when least- you say mistakes, we're talking about. The, the, the child's name may be L. Scott Briscoe on the birth certificate, but on the order where the rights are terminated, they call him Lenny S. Briscoe or the names mm-hmm. don't match up. So you have to And make is sure. that enough to like shut the whole thing down and you have to restart all over again? Well, yes, if you terminate person. the wrong person. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we just had one where they terminated uh, on a dad. Well, he was dad the second. Well, they didn't put dad the second on the termination order. So it looked like they may have terminated grandpa's rights mm-hmm. instead of dad's. So these just small little name yeah. spellings or wrong birth dates or social security numbers can just derail the whole thing. So and, Bob, and, if somebody calls you and says, ah, oh, you know, I just want to do a simple adoption. Yeah. Do you say there's no such thing or, or no. how do you kind of probe it out and figure it oh, out? The ones that I get like today in the car, I did an intake while Scott was busy shaking his moneymaker. What County were you in today, Scott? Kanawha County. Kanawha <laughs> County. Okay. Kanawha. So, so I, I, I was handling, I was handling the phone lines and people will call up and say, well, how much does this adoption cost? I, I'd like to get a quote on an adoption. It's just going to be a simple private adoption. And, and now I will tell you, Scott and I are probably the least expensive of anybody because we do it every day. We're not supporting a personal injury practice or divorce practice or whatever else with adoptions. We just do adoptions. And we're not inexpensive. It's just what you get for us for, you know, we accomplish in five hours because we know what other attorneys may charge 10 for. So uh, I get a call. Well, how much is this going to cost? I said, well, um, and I didn't want to say this, but here's what went through my mind, Burke. You take your car into a garage and say, how much, how much will you charge me to make this run right? Well, there's a difference between an oil change or a tune-up or an engine overhaul. They all make the car run better. What do you need? Well, I, I said, uh, is mom willing to consent? I said, yeah. Uh, is, uh, is dad willing to consent? Well, we're not sure we have the right dad. I said, is the child born yet? She said, no, it's going to be born in about two weeks. And mom's going to sign a consent now. And first I said, well, let's, let's hold up for a little bit of well, what state are you in? Are you in West Virginia? Yes. Uh, consents are not valid unless they're signed more than 72 hours after the birth. Uh, so anyway, uh, that's not a problem. Do you think uh, she? Do you think she knows who the dad is? Well, she was saying there wasn't a dad. And I said, okay, let's assume it is an immaculate conception. We're uh, around Christmas. There isn't we're around, a dad. Yeah. Uh, so so you know we're around the Christmas time. We know things happened like that two thousand years ago. But you're going to have to run ads for an unknown father. Get an affidavit from her. We 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 draft all that for you. No problem. But but let me ask you this: Has she ever had any other children 
taken before from the Department of Health and Human Resources, either voluntarily or involuntarily. Well, yes, she's lost three other children. Well, let me tell you, uh, Scott and I deal with this regularly, and, and the department will be there as her feet are in the stirrups to catch the baby that comes out. And, and then you're going to try to jockey into position to get that child, and mom can't consent because she can only give what she has. And if she lost custody before 72 hours, she cannot, gain, she cannot convey that to you. And she said, well, you know, I think it may be a problem because she lost, lost the children or other children, but she, she wants us to have this one. And I, I said, okay, well, that's great. I said, any prenatal care? She said, no. I said, well, now I don't want to be cynical, ma'am, but that's because the baby will be born tra- drug addicted, I bet. And I said, do you think there's a chance that she goes, yeah. I said, well, the department is definitely involved then. So as we understand the pecking order of you and the department, how are you related to the biological mother? She said, I'm not, but she wants me to have the child. I said, okay. You know, then the baby mama, mama, translation, grandmother, will step in and block you on that. And and so if you don't know what questions to ask, somebody will say, well, shoot, that's a $2,500 adoption. Well, it may be, maybe a $3,000 adoption. If everybody has everything lined up, Scott and I know how to crank out that work overnight. Uh, but, but something that sounded simple in the beginning, clearly, pretty oh, quickly, no. is not simple at all. No, no, not if, you're, if, not, not if you're in the business of doing this every day and asking the questions every day. So uh, Scott and I have had a couple where the person swears the department is involved. And it's Scott, didn't you get a call from the hospital? Hey, the department's here. This is CPS calling. Yeah, CPS. <laughs> surprise, surprise, surprise. Here. Man. <laughs> Bob Noon and Scott Briscoe, our guest today, we're talking about adoptions. Uh, and if you'd like to find out more, there's a lot of free resources at bobnoon.com. And uh, your Facebook page again, Bob, is? Adoption.now. Adoption period now. And it'll come up. It's Robert Noon Legal Services. And then, um, and then when you go to our page, you'll probably get a link to the adoptionbrothers.com. Uh, but but bobnoon.com is kind of the gateway. But uh, yeah, and, and, and Scott and I answer a lot of free questions all the time on Stump the Chump on Facebook. So, you know, it doesn't cost anything to try and stump us. We're so arrogant, we think we can answer anything. <laughs> In West Virginia, you guys clearly are, are doing the lion's share of this because you specialize in it. Are there people, Scott, uh, other attorneys in other states that that just do adoption law? It's other states. You know what? I really don't work with uh, many other uh, out-of-state attorneys, uh, maybe two or three through the ICPC process, but you know, I really you know Bob, are there people that do, like you guys just do this because there's so much of it because of this drug problem mm-hmm. in, in Appalachia. Are there other people that specialize or do you yeah. think you guys yeah. are the, the only ones? Well, I'd have to say in the state of West Virginia, we concentrate. Uh, our, our, our practice is solely limited to a concentration of adoption because you can't say specialization. Okay, Cause, got it. Because in West Virginia, the only thing as a lawyer you need to do to be able to do an adoption is breathe. There's no specialty. There's no requirement. There's no passing the test. So what Scott and I do is offer a level of somewhat of a daily expertise of doing this for the same price or less than somebody, you know, this week we will have done maybe seven or eight adoptions. There's attorneys that do adoptions that haven't done seven or eight in a year or in a career. And that's a slow week for us. Um, but, but 
Uh, other states, yes. Uh, there are some, like uh, today, uh, oddly enough, you're talking to me in the other state where I'm licensed. I'm in the state of Alabama. And there are some down here that just concentrate in that. And it's wonderful to see people just get good in one area. Um, and, and, you know, it's the way I usually tell people, if you're searching for a dentist uh, to extract, a, you know, do a root canal, do, do you want somebody that is specialized that does a root canal every day or a dentist that does it once a month or a guy that says, you know, I did one last year. It, it all depends on your uh, tolerance for pain, doesn't it? <laughs> and, and so what Scott and I try and do, because we do it every day, is make it a fun process for people. Uh, it, it should be a joyous process. This is when we're in a courtroom, this is an adoption an adoption is a birthday meets a baptism in the legal system, really. And uh, Scott and I both try and have fun with it. And, and in other states, there are people that concentrate in it. Uh, but West Virginia has very few folks that say, well, this is, this is all we do. We're one trick pony. Before we wrap up, uh, I want to ask both of you this question, and I'll start with you, Scott. Um, what's your favorite part of what you do? I mean, it, it sounds you know, like it's both total extremes. It's sounds incredibly satisfying, but at other times completely heartbreaking. So for you, you know, what gets you excited in the morning? What's your favorite part of, of doing adoption law? That, that moment, Bert, in that hearing, uh, after all the witnesses have testified um, and I get to look at the judge and, and make their prayer, you know, please grant the adoption. And you look over in the eyes of our clients uh, you look into this new mom's eyes who who literally is bouncing up and down in her seat and can't wait for the judge to say those words um, mm-hmm. in that moment, right when it happens. And you see this new family finally become official after waiting for maybe a couple of years in the system. Um, it is the most pure uh, uh, and, and magical and rewarding moment that I can ever get. Uh, as an attorney. And Bob, uh, I, I can never thank you enough for giving me this opportunity because it's just, uh, it's an amazing gift to get to see this happen uh, on a regular basis. Well, thank you, Scott. I I, I, I share all your same thought, but first of all, I, I just was, this isn't a love fest here, Burke, but, you know, having <laughs> Scott on board has just really allowed me to do more of what I, I enjoy. I enjoy the ministerial part of the practice, and that is uh, counseling foster parents and adoptive parents. And Scott set in with me on a few calls or more than a few. Uh, but I love hearing the love story of when, uh, when I'm talking to foster parents and adoptive parents, what is it that made you fall in love and decide that you're going to commit your life to this? Not just to each other. This is more sacred than marriage vows. You generally right. do not divorce your kids. Uh, but, but, uh, so, you know, what, what is it about that? And then today, a couple of times, I love the joy of calling up people and saying, uh, you know, the adoption you got us uh, last week we, or we got from your adoption specialist is filed today in Marion County. And we got the judge to give us a date in two weeks. Are you ready? And it's 1.30 in, in, in Marion County and be there a half hour early because this is going to be the most fun you can have in a courtroom. Um, and and I, I just love prepping people. I love telling them that it's going to happen. Uh, and I also love now sharing the joy with Scott because Scott does a lot of the travel I used to do. And so uh, 
you know, it's and, and and when we get to go together, Scott even lets me do hearing shit. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I made I made him follow me around for a couple months. Uh, but when he took over, he, he, he when he started doing hearings, he did with a vengeance. And so that allows me more time uh, with, with our, our paralegal, Gail, to do some of the behind the scenes stuff. And is it, fellas, is it uh, is it that same feeling when it is the grandparents who uh, adopt the kids because one of their kids is in a bad place? Are they still over the moon excited, Scott, that, it, that it's finally come to fruition? It's more of a, a feeling of, of a calm security. I mean, they've already, they know it's their grandchild, but it's the, the security of knowing that, that there's nothing that, that the biological mom and dad can do to step in and, and take them away. Um, and put them in a bad place again. Yeah, it's different yeah. from the foster parents who are becoming new parents. It's different yeah. from the grandparents. It's a, and again, it's a little bit more bittersweet because these grandparents are having to adopt their grandchildren because their children failed as parents. So it's a different, a different feeling. Um, but it's also a good feeling because you know, that the child is where that child's supposed to be and going to be cared for and raised by a loving and appropriate still family member. Bob, you got some more of these between now and Christmas day that you're going to yeah. make some forever families. Yeah. Oh, we, we just, we've been scheduling some and, and I got to tell you, not all judges have openings. We we're already scheduled up into January and February on some adoptions uh, because COVID made the courthouse a little uh, once, once we were able to have face-to-face hearings, all those jury trials that have been waiting for a while are going on. Uh, but yeah, we have a, we have a, at least a, I'd say a dozen or so going on between now and the middle of December. What a fantastic um, holiday that'll be for some kids and, and some new moms and dads. Yeah. You guys do amazing work. And uh, I appreciate you explaining it to us a little bit on the big time talker podcast. If they want to find out more information, uh, Scott, where should we send them to Bob noon.com? And that is N O O N E.com Bob noon.com. And look at the adoption brothers page there. Mm-hmm. Find out more about uh, author and attorney, Scott Briscoe. And uh, and child adoption, uh, not specialist, but in indeed, Bob, you are referred to as a concentrate. Well, I, I tell people I'm a one trick pony, <laughs> but 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 I yes. had somebody else correct me and say you are a subject matter specific counsel. I like uh, that. Can, yeah. Well, when judge the, the the greatest compliment you can have as a an attorney is when judges call you up for advice on cases that are not yours. And we take those calls every day from judges and the organizations that place foster kids, they use us to teach their seminars. And, um, and so we love doing it. You can call us one trick pony or subject matter specific, but we have one thing we do every day and we love sharing the knowledge of it for free. These are the guys that know all things adoption. The Adoption Brothers, Bob Noon and Scott Briscoe, bobnoon.com. Fellas, thank you so much for being here. And thank you for listening today to our big Time Talker podcast. Uh, We sure appreciate you spending time with us. New episodes drop every Tuesday right here. Be sure to subscribe and tell a friend. From our studios in Washington, D.C., I'm Burke Allen. Thank you so much for listening. Now go out there and make it a great day. Bye, everybody.